Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When Ronald Reagan proclaimed October to be National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, he noted that when a child loses a parent, they are called an orphan, and when a spouse loses their partner, they are called a widow or widower. But there is no word to describe a parent who loses their child, and unfortunately, it's something that many families do indeed have to deal with. I'm Yvonne Rothermel, a licensed clinical social worker specializing in perinatal and infant loss, and this is Parent Savers, Episode 74. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Would you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome everyone to another episode of Parent Savers, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Parent Savers is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for parents of newborns, infants, and toddlers. I'm your host, John O'Reill. Thanks again to all of our loyal listeners, and especially to those who have joined the Parent Savers Club. These members get bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. Um, You can also subscribe to our monthly Parent Savers newsletter for a chance to win a membership to our club each month. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Parent Savers app, available on the Android and iTunes Marketplace. And if you haven't already heard, we've recently unlocked all of our archives, so you now you can access any episode of Parent Savers, The Boob Group, Preggy Pals, um, share them with your friends, listen to your favorites, and check out anything that we've recorded over the past year. Today's topic is parenting subsequent children after infant loss, Um, and so let's go around. We're joined by some parents in studio and introduce everyone so we know who we're listening to. I'm your host, John O'Reill. I have three boys, six, four, and two, um, and I am coming up on my 40th birthday. Hi, I'm Carrie Hassler, and I um, am a second grade teacher. Um, I'm also a parent of an 11-year-old girl, and I have a, uh, a little boy who um, passed away when he was 15 months old. His name was Owen. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cheryl Gerhardt, and I'm an accountant, and I have three children, a 10-year-old daughter who is a surviving twin, and a 7-year-old son and a 5-year-old son. Hi, I'm Erin Estevez, the um, producer here for Parent Savers, known as, and I'm known as OG Mamacita. I have one boy; he's 23 months, <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm 42. That's what makes me the OG Mamacita, officially <laughs> <Nice. laughs> geriatric. Yvonne, how about you? Uh, I'm Yvonne Rothermel, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and um, work in the area, obviously, of infant and perinatal loss. And I have uh, two daughters: one who's 10, and one who's almost eight. And I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself, too, because I may be chiming in in today's conversation. I'm Sunny. I'm, I'm one of the producers on Parent Savers. I'm also the host of Parent Savers' sister show, Preggy Pals. Um, I'm actually pregnant with uh, twin identical girls. I have um, two little boys at home. And uh, I might be chiming in for a couple different reasons. I, I'd be lying if I said um, that being pregnant with twins, that I haven't thought about perinatal loss and what that might be like. And if one twin survives, the other doesn't. Um, so that's 
been on my mind, but I also had a brother that passed away. Um, this is several years ago. He passed away in 1994, and he was about 12 years older than me. But I can definitely talk about what it's like from a sibling standpoint and how that affects family dynamic. Cool. We'll see if the conversation goes that way. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Before we begin, here's Detective Damian Jackson with some great ways to better protect our children. Hey, Parent Savers, this is Detective Damian Jackson with the Escondido Police Department's Family Protection Unit and the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force here in San Diego, California. As part of the Escondido Police Department's ongoing series of community outreach education to help families enhance their personal safety, I'm here today to talk to you about GPS programming. Criminals are constantly looking for those easy opportunities these days to take your property and turn it for a quick profit on the street. As new parents, you're probably on the go a lot, and with today's technology, getting where you need to be is as simple as tapping an address into your GPS device and off you go, getting to your next destination easily and efficiently. However, one of the easiest items to spot, steal, and quickly sell is that GPS device sitting on your dashboard or center console for all to see. It doesn't matter to that criminal what the best route to SeaWorld might be or where the closest sushi spot is, but the address you've programmed in the home category is like giving a criminal a treasure map and the X is right on top of your house. My tip for the day, don't make home your actual home. I'd be willing to bet there's not one of you out there listening that doesn't know how to get from your house to the grocery store, or from the grocery store back to your house. So for an added layer of security and protection for you and your family, instead of using your actual home address, use the grocery store as your starting and finishing point on your GPS device when using it to plot out your trips. That way, if someone relieves you of your GPS device without your permission, you will only be giving them directions to the produce section and not to your family's castle. For more information on how you can keep your family safe, visit us on Facebook or Twitter at forward slash Escondido Police. With the Escondido Police Department and the San Diego Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, I'm Detective Damian Jackson, reminding you to keep your family safe and smart. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So today we're talking about parenting subsequent children after infant loss. And one of the reasons we're talking about this is because October is Infant and Child Death Awareness Month. So while it's definitely not um, the fun topic or the kind of lighthearted conversation we often have, it's important that we do this topic. And I really want to thank everyone for joining us. And thanks to you guys for listening as well. Um, So Yvonne, how did you get started in this specialty area of helping parents in this? Well, 
I used to work in, with adolescents in residential treatment, and it was during the AIDS time. I had a lot of kids who lost their parent from AIDS, and at that time I had had some of my own losses, and I became very interested in grief work. So um, I did a grief group for the kids and really wanted to learn more about it, so I went on to work at hospice and then a women's hospital working with women who've lost babies. And then ironically, I ended up having my own loss at birth, um, so life sort of prepared me for my own life. and. Um, it became sort of a real passion for me. Um, I just felt like there's a lot of misunderstanding about grief, which makes it very hard for people who, and mm -hmm. families that go through this. And how common is it for families to go through this? Uh, well, you know, we know that in terms of miscarriage, about 15 to 20 percent of those pregnancies end. Um, usually 80 percent of those are in the first 12 weeks. And then what people don't often realize is that miscarriage goes all the way up to 20 weeks. And so there are women who have um, can be very traumatized by early miscarriages. Some people breeze through it. But some of the later miscarriages, too, can be quite traumatic in, mm -hmm. in how they are delivered. Um, and then stillbirth is usually about 1 in 160 births are okay. stillbirth. And something that's not very well known, I think, is that many stillbirths have totally unknown reasons. We don't know why uh, they die. Up to 60% of stillbirths, we still don't know why they die. Um, and this can be very anxiety-provoking for families who have another babies because you have nothing dependent on, so you worry about your next child. And then in terms of um, infant loss, um, sudden infant uh, death, which could be reasons other than SIDS, there's about 4,000 a year in the United States. So usually a half of those are SIDS deaths. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe let's just start, if you guys could share a little bit about what happened to you so we all kind of can hear your story and then... We'll go from there. Okay, um, I'll go first. This is Cheryl. I, um, we, my husband and I were going through infertility, so we were doing in vitro and did it a few times, and we're so excited when we finally got pregnant, and then even more ecstatic when we found out we were having twins. So um, we have lots of twins in our family. My husband's a twin. My dad's a twin. My husband's dad's a twin. So it was just really exciting to think we were having twins. Then at my 16-week ultrasound, um, the doctor informed us that one of the twins was not developing normally and would not survive, but he didn't know when the twin would pass away, wh whether it would be in ut utero or um, if the twin would go full term and then just die. He knew they w it wouldn't survive once it was born. The lungs weren't developing properly. Um, we were really devastated. I mean... It was really difficult, and the hard part, too, was thinking about the other twin because we wanted this pregnancy so bad and tried so hard, um, and to think we've lost one baby and we may lose both after everything we'd been through. So the good part was I did go full term because if the baby did die um, in utero, it could have jeopardized this the other baby. So um, I was um, able to deliver both babies um, and my the surviving twin was totally healthy, normal, and the second baby when she was born, um, I did. I knew that she wouldn't live. She she never took a breath. She had a heartbeat. I got to hold her for the first hour. Um, my the first twin did go to the NICU, so I had kind of that private time to spend my husband and I with with this the the baby that was not going to survive, um, and. Um, she passed away within that hour. Her heart stopped beating. And we did, you know, we were mourning her for a while. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't like a sudden thing because we knew from 16 weeks on that this baby wasn't going to survive, but it was still, 
you know, a difficult thing to go through. And um, at the same time, we were overjoyed that the other baby had survived and that she was healthy and that she, you know, we were, you know, we we got our baby. So it was kind of a bittersweet time. It it was just, and then having just delivered a baby, you're so emotional anyway, and your hormones are so crazy. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I was, I didn't know where I was. It was just, you're just in the moment, just doing what you need to, holding the baby, watching it die. You're just, it's kind of like you're watching a movie, but it, and, and everyone's just watching me like, is she okay? You know, the nurses kept coming in. Is she okay? Does she need something? You know, and I just, I don't know. It, I look yeah. back at it and I just, it, everything was just in the moment, you know, just what do I do? You know, so it's been 10 years. So it's, it's kind of, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I went through that and right. I survived and, you know, it, I'm here today to talk about it and, hopefully help anyone else that's going through the same thing because I know at the time I um, I reached out to a, an organization called CLIMB, Center of Loss and Multiple Birth, just to get some somebody to, to kind of give me a frame of reference. How's it mm-hmm. going to be living with a surviving twin? How am I going to, you know, tell my daughter? How, you know, how are we going to be going forward? How's, you know, how is our family going to kind of get through this whole thing? So um, that was that was a good resource for me, but it, I think even now there's probably more resources. There is a support group that um, Yvonne, um, I met Yvonne through, so that was a good um, resource for me as well. Yeah. All right, Carrie, how about you? <laughs> well, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's, um, you know, I'm, it's heartbreaking to hear uh, other people's stories, of course, and uh, you can't obviously very much connect when you are a parent who's lost a child as well um so it's 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 heartbreaking and i'm so sorry for your loss um as well so i have a slightly different story our son owen was healthy happy baby um born full term actually he was late gosh darn it couldn't didn't want to come out um but he was uh you know we had a healthy happy pregnancy and he was a very normal boy and developing great and um at 15 months old um he unexpectedly died in his sleep and he um it was a very traumatic uh moment for us um my daughter who was five at the time um and owen were um sharing a bedroom um, that was literally, uh, we have kind of a Jack and Jill bathroom, um, the master bedroom and um, their bedroom. So they were literally 10 steps away from us. And um, uh, Kate had already gotten up and I was waking up early. It was a school day for my daughter. And um, I Owen, Owen had seemed like he had a little cold and um, no fever. And he... You know, he said both kids have had many colds in the past. Mm -hmm. And so um, that morning after, you know, my daughter's up and I'm up, I'd been up for a little while, get up early, and it was time for Owen to wake up. And I um, walk into his room and he was laying on his side and um, I knew something was wrong. And uh, I picked him up and screamed and um, raced him downstairs and began CPR on him, um, panicking, screaming. 
and um, yelling at my husband to call 911. And my daughter was standing uh, right there and went, asked over and over again, saying, what's wrong with Owen? What's wrong with Owen? What's wrong with Owen? And so I just wanted her to step away because yeah. I just knew. Um, so uh, doing CPR on him, I didn't know if, if you know, I'm not in the medical field. And, of course, you're just you know, racing, um, your heart and your mind is racing, racing. So I'm doing CPR, but in my mind, I knew, um, either he was, he was either dead or I had lost him. He would, he would not be ever be the same Owen that he had been before. Um, and so the, uh, you know, the fire station was the first to come and they whisked him away. And, um, I went, shortly thereafter with the police to the hospital and at, at this point I still didn't, hadn't known did you know what were they were they able to revive him I don't know um, my daughter and my husband stayed back at the house and uh, I later on we found that that was intentional um, because in the death of a of a child that we didn't know what the cause was um, the the detectives had to interview us separately so at the hospital um, is where they told me um, separately and uh, all my own that he had died. Because you guys were separated. We were separated. And then when my daughter and my husband came, um, I gave them the news. Um, so it was a very traumatic experience, very traumatic. Um, and uh, my my parents came and, um, they're, you know, I'm not sure which is worse, having to be told that your child has died or having to explain it to your five-year-old and your husband that they've lost their brother and their daughter. I mean, I'm sorry, and their son. Did, did they help you with how to say to your daughter? Or? No. <laughs> yeah. No. I think that it was a very, it was just a very traumatic moment for everybody. Um, it's traumatic for the doctors. It's traumatic for the fire station and the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. I think it just no one no one knew what to do right. or how to say it, and um, I remember before my husband and my daughter came to the hospital, um, before my parents had come, and I was in the room where they had told me that he had died. First of all, I'd also ripped down the blinds in the room out of a panic, um, and later on, uh, you know. Uh, I thought, oh gosh, I wonder if I'm going to have to pay for that. <laughs> you know, but um, at the moment, I didn't really care so much if I had to pay for the blinds being ripped down. Um, but I remember going to the bathroom, and um, I've shared this story with Yvonne, and uh, going to the bathroom, and you know, it is. It, it, Cheryl mentioned you, you feel like you're in a movie. I felt like I was very much on a movie set, and I felt that way for a long time. That you're just you're in a movie, you're an actor in a play. Well, how does this act? What what is the actor supposed to do? I don't know. I've lost my lines. Where's a script? Isn't there supposed to be a script somewhere? But I remember going to the bathroom and um, looking myself in the mirror. And uh, when I was growing up, I I swam and I played water polo and I had this coach who used to um, you know had this megaphone and he would yell um, you know the swim sets over the the megaphone to the to everyone in the the team and when you got to a really hard set he'd always say okay this set is going to separate the men from the boys and the women from the girls and for some reason I went to the bathroom and this is of course between the time they've, they've just told me the worst news of my life and yet now I've got to relay it to my husband and my daughter 
And I remember looking in the mirror and saying, and for some reason, his image popped into my brain and the guy with the megaphone. And, and I remember saying, okay, Carrie, this is what separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls. And I got to do it. And it just, it immediately, right from that moment, I knew I had, I had to step it up. And it is for my daughter. You know, right. it's like, I, I have to be, I have to be the, I have to be strong mom yeah. for her. And that's what I have to do. So it just, you know, you dig deep <laughs> when mm-hmm. you have to tell somebody. And no, no one was there to to help with that. Um, because no pamphlet. There, yeah, yeah. There was no. I don't know where the parenting book was on that. You know, I'm like, where? What happened? They were. They didn't teach me that. And you know, right. mommy 101. I don't know. So anyway, yeah. No, it's uh, it was a very traumatic time. I mean, I, so obviously we appreciate you guys sharing this. I mean, how often? How deep do you usually get into it? I mean, how often do you revisit the stories? I mean, if it comes up, I imagine that there's sort of a condensed version that you share. Yes. Well, my story, I I almost never tell it in that kind of detail. So, yeah, Um, I really, really appreciate it. (laughs) Almost never do I do that. Yeah. Um, To be perfectly honest, it makes, you know, everyone, you know, talk about being a party pooper. Right. You know, I mean, you know, it really makes people uncomfortable. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a terrible story. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of good that comes out of that. And so it's, it's hard for me to tell it. Um, but I also am very conscientious of knowing that it's really hard for people to hear that. So in this kind of situation, I think it's an appropriate thing to, mm-hmm. to hear because I think, I think to myself, my gosh, I wish I had somebody at that moment who had been through something like that. Yeah. So feel like I'm not the only person in the world who's done, who's been through that. Exactly. Um, so very rarely do I tell that story to yeah. in that kind of depth. Right. I think that's what makes these losses so hard is because they are such lonely losses for families. Um, we were just talking before we started today about you know how much you hold back from telling because you feel you're making people uncomfortable, but yet so many people who go through this really love to talk about the child that died. And there's this misconception that if you bring up their name, it's going to upset the person all over again. Um, And really, they're thinking about it all the time. And as one of my clients just said to me last night in a session, she said, you know, when when I talk about him, it's the only time I don't cry. And yet people don't realize that. And it may not be true for everybody. But I think for a majority of people, they like to be able to say their child's name. And, and, you know, I know today we're talking a lot about, you know, how to help support families who are mm-hmm. going through this. And I think that's a really big misconception to clarify that it's really important. If I can just interject as, as someone who has never lost a child and is just very susceptible to the emotional impact of hearing somebody's story, how should somebody respond? How? Right. I, you know, I, I think the most important thing, and I'm sure you all have to chime in, but don't let your own sense of helplessness and uh, impact your reaching out. Because so many of the families I talk to and uh, have experienced myself is that people tend to go away when these losses happen. And it's not because they don't really care per se. It's just that they feel helpless and they don't know what to do. And you just have to know that there's nothing you're going to do that's going to fix it. But showing up and being a presence, even if you just 
text, I'm thinking of you. And then with the very important disclaimer, you do not have to get back to me. <laughs> Just know that I'm, I'm thinking of you. If you send food, if you get memorial fun going for someone, anything that lets them know that you're thinking about them. And it's very important that that's not, that doesn't just happen in those first few weeks. Because what happens is, is you've been hearing there's this fog that comes over. You feel like you're in a movie. Well, that starts to wear off in the months that come. And those are the months that are so difficult for families. And that's a time, especially, they really need to have people reach out to them. And so it's important to remember that the reaching out needs to continue. But what if your your own fear of being a blubbering crybaby next to your friend or your family member who's going through this loss? How do you deal with that so that you're not dragging them down? Well, you know, let me. I think that that's such a good point. I mean, first of all, here's my condensed version of of this this big story that I have. I have a son who, at 15 months, died in his sleep unexpectedly. The end. And so, of course, just that is is obviously enough hard. to make me tear right, up. Right, of course. But I always think like it's better to say something than to say nothing, because or be even to just say, "I'm so sorry. I wish I had something to say, or I wish I could help." To even just admit, you know, just to say like, "Oh, I just don't know what to say," is better than saying nothing, because it just. And another point to make is that, you know, don't worry about making somebody cry and upset. Because guess what? I'm already crying. Like, I'm already crying. I'm already at home crying. So it's like you're not taking anyone down. It's already something that's very much a part of of who I am and who and every day and our thoughts. And that's such a good point. I think there's a, such an initial rush in, you know, in the first couple of weeks. And then when, when the fog goes away... Um, all of a sudden the reality of it all hits in and that's when people have kind of gone back to their lives and there's such a false assumption I think that you know oh it's been six months you know they should be over it by now or they should be you know and like oh no 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 I mean a loss of a child you never get over but I always feel like it's if you don't know what to say the most simple thing is just to say I'm so sorry it just it can be just as simple as that and um, you know and don't worry about crying. And in a way, crying is kind of whew, a relief, you know, and and not to worry about it. I, I I totally noticed that even when you guys were telling your stories. When when Cheryl told her story, I didn't know what to say, right? But then there Carrie was with, oh, I'm so sorry for it, you know, because... You know, it's hard for us. Yeah. And, but it's not about us. It's about <laughs> But it you guys. is really hard. Well, yeah. It's really hard. And I to think that people say. just don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. But I also think that let's talk more about um we'll take a quick break. Um, talk more about how it did change the way that you are parenting your other kids. Um, so we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Parent Savers. Today, we are talking about parenting subsequent children after an infant loss with Yvonne Rothermel. And we also have uh, Cheryl and Carrie in the studio as well, who have just shared their stories. So let's talk about how, and I mean, you talked, Carrie, about even before you told your daughter, having that moment where you looked yourself in the mirror, you know, and were like, it's time to step up the game. Um, How has it changed the way that you are parenting your other children? Well, I know... For me, my main thing was I didn't want my daughter to carry this with her. Like, it was something that she had to be sad about and feel bad about, or why did I survive and not my twin? It, that was 
the most important thing to me, regardless of how I felt. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be sad on my own. I, this is gonna be with me always. But I want my daughter to have a positive kind of outlook and and look at this positively. So, and sh- at the time she was my only child. I subsequently have two other children, mm-hmm. um, but. For her, I always, and I also didn't want it to be like all of a sudden one day she's 10 years old and I tell her, oh, by the way, you have a twin sister that right. died at birth. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I just was like, you know, you hear about kids that are adopted and they don't find out till they're adults and you're like, you know, and then they go crazy. Yeah. So I'm like, I want her to know it's part of her, but I want it to be a positive thing and I want, um, I, I don't want her to feel bad or sad about it. Um, you know, she can feel sad in a way. Yeah, I wish I had my sister was here, but not you know, where it's going to just impact every day. So we, it, we we named her twin Angelina and with the name Angel in it just because we, we knew she wasn't going to survive and we wanted it to kind of always be her guardian angel. So from the time she was, you know, born, mm-hmm. we, you know, always talked about Angelina, you're at guardian angels with you. And so we didn't talk about her a lot, but it was enough that, she knows she knew about her and it's not like you know when she got into school all of a sudden she knew she had a twin sister that didn't live so that was important to me and then with my subsequent kids too you know just so they know you know angelina passed away and they always ask why did she have to die and you know you know we're we're religious so it's like well god wanted her and she's very special and she's always a part of our family so i've tried to keep it where it's it's not a bad thing and they don't see that I'm upset. I try and, you know, say, yeah, I'm sad she's not here too, but you know what? God wanted her and she's watching over you guys and you're lucky to have, not everyone has this special guardian angel. But one of the things that, that as I was thinking about this question, um, because I don't think about this a lot, the loss and how it's affected me. You know, I just right. kind of try and live it's, in the moment. It's your story. I mean, yeah, it's my it's story. It's your reality. But, um, and, and I don't know if I always made this connection, but um, when I look at the way my husband and I parent compared to just other people around us, we've always been the type of people that, like, our kids are always with us. Like, just, you know, we traveled a lot before we had kids. We still travel with our kids. We bring them to Europe with us. We bring them on 18-hour flights. It's like, people are like, God, why do you lug your kids everywhere you go? You know, they get babysitters. They go to Vegas for the weekend. We don't do that. Like, mm-hmm. our kids are, like, so much apart. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But I think that maybe part of it has to do with this loss and us knowing how precious these kids are and how lucky we are to have the ones we have because... Yeah. If we went away without them, we'd miss them. We'd be like, what are they doing? You know, <laughs> we wish we, you know, not that we don't have our, our alone time too, but it's just, they're just such a part of everything we do. And it's just, we just love to have them around and we cherish every moment. And we do live so much in the moment more than thinking about the past or what could have been or what I, we, you know, and I think that changed a lot for me, maybe not for my husband. He lost a sibling when he was in his early 20s. So I think he was already living that way. But he kind of helped me realize, you know what, Cheryl, we can't do anything about this. This is like, you know, it's happened. It's sad, but we got to move on. We got to be positive and, and, you know, live in the future, live for the future and live in the moment, and enjoy every day. So we try to do that, and and that's helped me get through the loss. And I think I don't focus as much right. on it um, because of that. Um, maybe it's just my way of coping. But um, I think that 
if I had just dwelled on it a lot, it, it would have probably brought me down and impacted my kids. And I don't, that was the main thing. I didn't want it to be where they thought, you know, we're here and Angelina's not. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is a bad thing, you know. So, um, so they, you know, they talk about her, but not, it, it's, it's not a sad thing. Usually it's more, you know, our ga- guardian angel. And do they, um, if someone asks them how many brothers and sisters do they have? You know, it, it changes sometimes, and it I was telling them the this story. Like, sometimes it'll be a funny thing, like, where we'll say, well, there's three boys and two girls in our family, and they're like, no, you forgot about Angelina. There's three girls, see? <laughs> you know, just in, in yeah. a little joke about it in a, in a healthy way. But um, it, it changes, and it, I was telling them that it, it seems like when the kids get in kindergarten, they start talking about it more matter-of-factly, like, oh, I had a sister that died, you know, and they tell these other kids that are their new friends, and the kids are like, <laughs> you know, what, what, you know, they don't know what to say. Yeah. And then as they get older, my daughter, who's now in fifth grade, she now is telling her younger brothers, don't say that, that makes people uncomfortable, you know. Right. You can talk about her, but don't, you know, just blurt out to someone you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so they, you know, that's kind of, it, They'll say her name when sometimes when people ask, but for the most part, like when they're writing about um, in school, you know, you draw a picture of your family. They don't yeah. normally draw Angelina. Um, they draw the dog and the fish and the <laughs> more than that. But they still, it's not that they don't remember her or think about her, but they know that that's, I think they know that that makes other people uncomfortable. And so that's yeah. their way of kind of um, not putting people on the spot, whereas they're, their closer friends know and you know people that are close to our family and and they'll talk about it more openly you know i i think in terms of this topic about parenting i think one of the things we forget when we hear these stories although with carrie's story um that the trauma is very apparent you know i i think that uh, many of these families who have these sort of sudden losses are dealing with a traumatic component as well as a loss component and when you have trauma like that you know, your and loss, your assumptive world, the world you live in and assume is going to be final time just gets ripped out from under you. And so all of a sudden, everything feels so vulnerable. Like you, you feel like, you know, you've been on the other end of statistic, a small statistic, and now it just doesn't, nothing sort of can make you feel better. And so there's this heightened anxiety you have about not only your children, but maybe your spouse, or if they don't come home, or it's this traumatic thinking we get into. And I think that that is often a very a big struggle for families who, who are parenting subsequent children, is sort of how to manage some of that without being like crazy mom <laughs> and overprotective, right. Right? right? But yet at the same time, it feels like, like everything oh, feels no threatening. No one's going to hurt themselves falling off the <laughs> right. Like, oh, right. really? Right. sometimes bad things happen. For us, right. we... Um, we <laughs> We were probably yeah we were we were crazy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. We were crazy, and you know, and in a way, we still we still are. Um, but we, for us, uh, with Kate, uh, we dragged her mattress in from <laughs> in our room, and she slept in our room on a mattress for six months. And then I very distinctly remember having a very serious conversation with my husband about getting a heart monitor for her. And said, and everyone, let's get a heart monitor. We're all going to strap in and maybe one for the dog. And, the, you know, I mean, and you and then you step back and go, wait a minute, maybe, this, maybe we're going down a crazy town. I don't know. So, but yeah, you, you do. You become anything is susceptible. You, 
anything could happen and and anything can and so you yeah that paranoia of being very worried about your child is um the the, the surviving child is is huge um I, you know it, it manifested for me in in all sorts of ways i'm sleeping on the um mattress we did not get the heart monitor by the way we we, we decided we were the down in crazy time we have to pull back a little bit but um yeah i mean having our daughter sleep over at a friend's house was was didn't happen for a very long time um i felt very compelled even the very next day um after owen died i was going to be the one that took kate to school um because gosh anything could happen and i better i i have to make sure she gets to school and safely and i'm going to walk her in and be there right right away when she gets picked up. So yeah, you're very you would love to just wrap your other child in bubble wrap and, you know, protect them, but there's that's the emotional side of you, but you know, you have to intellectually say, you know what though, that's not that's not what's good for my child. I can't do that. And that's really, you know, it is it is the trial of a life for me to yeah. lose a child. How do you grieve for this one, but how do you be a good mom for the other one? And it is, you know, there there's no handbook. You know, you have to, it's, it's very difficult. It's, it's, it's the challenge of my life. Sonny, how did things change for you when you lost your sibling? Um, well, I was 16 years old. Um, he died of leukemia. So he was sick for about 13 months prior to dying. Um, and I, I think what was, what was difficult and continues to be difficult for me today is that it was just the two of us. And so, when people say, like, do you have any brothers or sisters? I still don't know what to say. Mm. Um, are you an only child? Yeah, I kind of was. I mean, because he was so much older than me, I kind of was treated like an only child. <laughs> but I, I think it was interesting how it affected our family overall because my mother in particular was very set on, this is not going to, um, sorry, gosh, I'm getting emotional. Well, I'm also pregnant. <laughs> and it's part of it. <laughs> um, you're crying too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom was, was set on, this is not going to destroy our family because it can do that. It can do that for a marriage. You know, you can play the blame game. Um, with, with a disease, it's very hard to blame things, but with an accident or something like that, it's very easy to do. It really brought our family closer together. I know Carrie was mentioning, you know, wanting to sleep in the same room. We did that too. I was 16 years old and we had a cot and I was sleeping in my parents' bedroom, you know, and it was just a way to process it and, and to get through it. And and now, you know, um, they actually live on the other side of the country and my family's out here, my immediate family is out here. Now we're always together. We make sure we're always together on, on the day that he died. And so we, we have little things like that that even now we bring up and and, and ways that we're able to grab hold of it and, and bond. This happened so many years ago, and I still cry at random times um, because I knew him. He, you know, I, I got a chance to really know him um, and spend 16 years of my life with him. So it was it was a you know a little bit different situation than losing someone younger. But um, the pain is still there. I don't think it ever goes away. It, um, but it definitely reminded me of how precious life is and, and to not take anything for granted. I think it's important to mention for people who listen to this who may be earlier on in their loss, because we're hearing from Carrie, who's five years out, and Cheryl, who's 10 years out. And, um, you know, it takes a long time to sort of figure this stuff out, I think, as you go along. And I wouldn't hate for anybody to judge themselves when they initially have a loss that they should sort of be at this place because I think it takes a very long time and I I think it it requires a a lot of support 
Um, and, um, you know, I've been on the show before and we've talked about perinatal loss and stillbirth loss, but I think, um, you know, when you have these losses, it's like having a big open wound. And when losses are sort of unexplained, I think it's uh, oftentimes we see moms find ways to blame themselves about it. I mean, I think it's just universal. I think moms find any tiny little thing, even though it has nothing to do, and you know, evidence to the contrary, we all feel responsible. And it's important to sort of get in there and, and clean out that wound and make sure there's not a lot of self-blame and that so the wound can close up well, and then you're going to have the scar the rest of your life. But I think um, sometimes it's important to find people and, and groups and support groups or therapy or ways to sort of help you do that as you are moving forward so you can sort of, you know, move forward in the, the healthiest way possible. Well, thanks so much for talking about it. Is there anything else you guys want to add or maybe something we didn't cover that you want to make sure to tell either parents going through this or other folks? When you are going through that initially, it is, uh, you know, unexplainable right. how hard that you, you, there's no even words. You can't even put it into words. You can't articulate that kind of grief um, that you initially go through. It's so intense. And, um, you know, and you, you're just trying to, I remember for so long, just cl- trying to cling on to any, anything that would try to make me feel like I could do this. And, um, and that's, you know, a show like this is so fantastic for people who really are feeling like I was for so long, just alone in it. Um, there's not a lot out there to help people and a lot, not a lot that's kind of more real. Um, there's, a, there's, there's some religious writing about all this. And there's some things that are, are written by people who've never lost a child themselves. But I, I, there's not a lot that I could have connected with. And I just, um, now when, when we hear of a family who's lost a child, um, we reach out to them because we know, we know how, how bad it is. And just to know somebody else has done, been through that is, is huge. So, um, I think it's really great and important that you're doing this show so that others don't feel so isolated. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a brave topic for you to take on. And um, and I, I would just like to say to anybody who's listening who's lost a child that, you know, society has very unrealistic expectations of grief. And um, it, it's uh, it's important to, to know that and that it's going to take a lot of time and that you need support. And that, unfortunately, sometimes it falls upon the bereaved to have to let the community know what they need <laughs> because people are just frozen. Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes I always recommend like doing a group email saying it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to talk about this and just saying something out to your community that kind of gives them instructions. And it, it's, it stinks that it has to be on the brief person, but I really think it helps in the long run in terms of making sure there's support coming in because so many people just freeze in the face of that. So, All right. Well, thanks again so much. Um, and thank you to those listening as well. For more information about um, today's show, we've got an episode page on the website at parentsavers.com. We'll actually continue the conversation a bit for members of our Parent Savers Club. Let's talk a little more about some tips or some specific things that people can do to help. I know we've touched on it a little bit, but maybe some of your favorite gestures that you've either received or like to give to folks. Um, and so, yeah, so check that out um, for the bonus content. All the info is on the episode page at parentsavers.com.
Here is a question from Rebecca. She writes, I've noticed my nephew is a bit more aggressive than normal. I don't see him all that often, and I know kids can change quickly, but something doesn't seem quite right. He's almost a bully around other kids, and when you try to discipline him, he never seems remorseful. Can this be a sign of some sort of disorder? Hi, Rebecca. This is Amy Goyle from Tadpole Therapy here to help you out. The short answer to your question is yes. Aggression can be a sign of a disorder. In order to find out, though, your nephew's parents need to be the ones to bring him in for an evaluation. Usually it's with a psychologist or a neuropsychologist, but they're the ones that will gather information and give a more concrete answer about what your nephew is going through and if he does indeed have a disorder. That's the short answer, but I want to give you just a little bit more for you to think about. Keep in mind, Rebecca, that not all kids need to have a disorder, quote-unquote disorder, to demonstrate aggressive behavior. Here's some examples of situations that I've observed before. Mom has to go back to work, and the kids are stressed out about it, so they act out. Mom has a new baby, and this new baby isn't welcomed. Again, this could be a source of stress for the kids, um, or just one kid, and they'll act out. Another example would be there's a poor match in parenting style between the child and the parent. So the child may view the discipline they receive as too harsh or maybe it's not enough and the parents can't reel their child in. Another situation is that one of the parents in the household is depressed and that child isn't getting the same amount of attention that they would normally get and then they become more aggressive or act out again. I don't want my examples to lead you to think that your nephew doesn't have a disorder. I don't know the answer to that. I just wanted you to be aware that there's different causes. Your nephew may very well need to have treatment, and that's a good thing because you told me that he's lacking in empathy or, or you think that. Unfortunately, as a relative, you can't do anything on your own. It has to be the parents that act on this. I hope my answer gives you a place to start, Rebecca. I wish you the best. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you so much for listening to Parent Savers, and thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our show's uh, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, the boob group for moms who breastfeed their babies, and there's also Twin Talks for parents who are either expecting twins or have twins and dealing with all of the various issues that twins bring up. Next week, we're going to be talking about ADD and ADHD, so make sure to tune in for that. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Parent Savers, empowering new parents. This has been a New Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. 
Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.